So I've covered some strange topics on this show. Krampus, the Easter bilby, Curlian photography, breatharianism. But this might be the weirdest. Okay, maybe it doesn't beat breatharianism, but still. This started when recently I had been reading up on the history of lapdogs. Yeah, I know, pretty strange in and of itself. In particular, I came across a passage from a 19th century text entitled The Illustrated Natural History by Reverend John George Wood. Wood was what's known as a parson naturalist, a kind of clergyman who viewed their study of the natural world as an extension of their faith. In the aforementioned passage, Wood compares the now-defunct Mexican lapdog, which supposedly in its immature state could be as small as a golden hamster, to a strange creature or plant I had never heard of before. The very tiniest of the dog family is the Mexican lapdog, a creature so very minute in its dimensions as to appear almost fabulous to those who have not seen this animal itself. One of these little canine pets is to be seen in the British Museum, and always attracts much attention from the visitors. Indeed, if it were not in so dignified a locality, it would be generally classed with the mermaid, the flying serpent, and the tartar lamb, as an admirable example of clever workmanship. The mermaid the author mentions in passing may be a reference to P.T. Barnum's infamous Fiji mermaid or similar fakes. The original was exhibited in 1842 in New York at Barnum's American Museum. The gruesome fraud was crafted by sewing the head and torso of a juvenile monkey to the back half of a fish. But it was the specific mention of this so-called tartar lamb that really piqued my curiosity. It turns out the tartar lamb, also known as the vegetable lamb of tartary, Tartary being an outdated term for Central, North, and East Asia, is a legendary example of what's called a zoo fight. In short, the tartar lamb was thought to be a plant that grew sheep as fruit. The sheep or lamb was supposedly supported by an umbilical cord-like stem, which was capable of bending downward, allowing the sheep to graze on surrounding vegetation. Once all the vegetation within its reach had been consumed, both the plant and its sheep would die. I told you this was going to be a weird one. While researching this episode, I found myself perplexed by something. A zoo fight is commonly defined as an animal, usually an invertebrate, such as coral or sea anemones, that arguably resemble plants in their outward appearance. And yet the tartar lamb could be viewed as the inverse, a plant that resembles an animal. Things are further confused by the fact that its exact classification is somewhat unclear and seems to have varied. In his 1887 book, The Vegetable Lamb of Tartary, English naturalist Henry Lee discusses how people believe the tartar lamb to be both a true plant and yet at the same time also a true animal. There was a belief that the little sheep sprang forth fully formed from melon-like seeds, but with the passage of time this gave way to the idea that the sheep was a part of the plant and incapable of independent survival once separated from it. It was thought that once the lamb died, it could be eaten, and that like a true sheep, it was made of blood, bone, and meat, and that its blood was supposedly sweet like honey. 
Perhaps part of my confusion regarding the Tartar lamb and its classification as a zoophyte had to do with the fact that I was tending to think of the word in its more recent sense or use. Although the term zoophyte has generally fallen out of use in the realm of modern science, it was used up until the 19th century. Charles Darwin actually employs the word in his 1845 book, The Voyage of the Beagle, when commenting on the sea pen, a kind of invertebrate colonial sea animal belonging to the same phylum as jellyfish and sea anemones. But if we go back further, it seems that in its earlier use, the word dating back to the early 17th century, labeling something as a zoophyte was kind of a medieval attempt to explain exotic plants with strange or unusual properties, including characteristics seeming more akin to those of an animal, such as so-called sensitive plants, which react to human touch by drooping or folding inward. In the case of the Tartar lamb, cotton hadn't been introduced to northern Europe until the Norman conquest of Sicily. The manufacturing of cotton had been introduced to Europe earlier, during the Muslim conquest of Sicily and the Iberian Peninsula. But it was the Normans who spread the knowledge of cotton weaving to northern Italy and hence the rest of Europe. Even after cotton became a popular import, many were still unaware of how it was derived. This gap in knowledge combined with accounts from antiquity and the fanciful tales of contemporary travelers seems to have given rise to or at least fed or reinforced the belief that the wool-like substance of the cotton plant came from some kind of sheep-like plant or plant-animal hybrid. Ancient Greek historian Herodotus wrote of trees in India which bore wool as fruit. The fruit whereof is a wool, exceeding in beauty and goodness that of sheep. The natives make their clothes of this tree wool. Supposedly two men serving under Alexander the Great also commented on trees in India that bore a wool-like fruit. I should note I say supposedly in this case, because what we have of their accounts apparently comes to us via the ancient Greek historians, Arian and Strabo. The two men were Aristobulus, a historian, military engineer, and personal friend of Alexander, and Nearchus and Navarch, the ancient military equivalent of what we would now call an admiral. The following is from Henry Lee's The Vegetable Lamb of Tartary. Nearchus, the admiral of Alexander the Great, reported that there were in India trees bearing, as it were, flocks or bunches of wool, and that the natives made of this wool garments of surpassing whiteness, or else their black complexions made the material appear whiter than any other. The following is also from Henry Lee's The Vegetable Lamb of Tartary. Aristobulus, another of Alexander's generals, made mention in his journal of the cotton plant under the name of the wool-bearing tree, and stated that it bore a capsule that contained seeds which were taken out, and that which remained was carded like wool. In Jewish folklore, there's the Adna Hasida, probably no way I pronounced that correctly, a kind of wild bestial humanoid creature who dwells in the mountains. It is connected to the earth by an umbilical-like cord. Like the tartar lamb, it feeds on what the surrounding soil produces, and it was thought that if the cord was severed, the creature would die. Travelers were cautioned to steer clear of the creature's reach, lest they be seized and eaten. 
Lee notes that Claude Duré, a French judge, botanist, and historiographer, in a 1605 book, claims to have read in a Hebrew book dating to 436 that there was something akin to the Adna Hasada, but sheep-like in form. In his work entitled The Shui Yang, or Water Sheep, and The Agnes Sithicus, or Vegetable Lamb, 19th century naturalist and sinologist, sinology being, put simply, a kind of academic study of China, Gustav Schlegel supposedly points, rightly or wrongly, to Chinese legends of the so-called water sheep as an inspiration for the tartar lamb. The Latin name Agnes Sithicus, or Scythian lamb, being a kind of scientific or taxonomical designation. A wildly popular 14th century book, a kind of travel memoir, entitled The Travels of Sir John Mandeville, is credited with bringing the Tartar lamb legend to public attention. In it, the author describes a kind of gourd-like fruit grown in Tartary that when ripe could be cut open to reveal what appeared to be a lamb inside. Both the gourd-like exterior as well as the lamb within were supposedly edible. Franciscan friar and missionary explorer Odoric of Friuli also claimed to have heard stories of gourds in Persia that supposedly contained lamb-like animals. In the 16th century, Sigismund von Eberstein, a diplomat, ambassador, and member of the Holy Roman Empire Imperial Council, claimed in his notes on Russia to have heard too many credible accounts to doubt the lamb's existence, and he placed its location as being near the Caspian Sea. He claimed the lamb, which sprouted from seeds, grew to about a foot and a half in height and resembled a normal lamb in save for that its hooves were made of parted hair and its flesh was more like that of a crab. Once again, I told you this was going to be a strange episode. Irish physician and naturalist Sir Hans Sloane thought Sibodium baromets, a Chinese tree fern, was the source of the vegetable lamb legend. Sloan, known as an avid collector, supposedly found a quote-unquote lamb specimen in a Chinese cabinet of curiosities he had acquired. He claimed the lamb appearance was achieved by removing leaves from the plant's woolly rhizome a rhizome being a kind of modified stem that sends out roots and shoots from its nodes. When inverted, it supposedly resembles a small woolly lamb. In 1683, Engelbert Kampfer, a German naturalist, physician, and explorer, traveled with an embassy to Persia in hopes of finding the storied vegetable lamb. After interviewing the local inhabitants and failing to find any physical evidence, Kempfer concluded that, unfortunately, the lamb was most likely nothing more than a legend. He did, however, put forward the strange hypothesis that the disturbing custom of removing unborn lambs from their mother's wombs in order to harvest the soft wool may have been behind the myth of the vegetable lamb and noted that specimens of fetal wool could be mistaken for a kind of plant substance. As someone who's done an audio documentary on the subject of Baphomet, I couldn't help but notice the similarity to Baromets or Boromets, other names for the vegetable lamb. In Latin, Planta Tatarica Baromets. Another similarity is the fact that Baphomet is represented as a hermaphroditic being with a goat head, and Baromets, or the vegetable lamb, is of course, well, a lamb or sheep. But despite their associations, goats and sheep belong to different genera. I believe that's the plural form of genus. And despite its contentious etymology, the predominant school of thought seems to be that Baphomet is most likely a corruption of Muhammad or Mahomet. 
The tartar or vegetable lamb even made its way into poetry. Dr. Erasmus Darwin, the grandfather of famous naturalist Charles Darwin, in his 1781 work, The Botanic Garden, writes, In round the pole the flames of love aspire, and icy bosoms feel the secret fire. Cradled in snow and fanned by arctic air, shines gentle baromets, thy golden hair. Rooted in earth, each cloven foot descends, and round and round her flexile neck she bends, crops the gray coral moss and hoary thyme, or laps with rosy tongue the melting rhyme, eyes with mute tenderness her distant dam, and seems to bleat a vegetable lamb. In a poem dating to 1587, the courtier and poet Guillaume de Salas du Bartis writes, and this is an English translation, but with true beasts, fasten the ground still sticking, feeding on grass and the airy moisture licking, such as those baromets in Scythia bred, of slender seeds and with green fodder fed. Although their bodies, noses, mouths, and eyes of new yeaned lambs have full the form and guise, and should be very lambs, save that for foot, within the ground they fix a living root, which at their navel grows and dies that day, that they have browsed the neighboring grass away. So there it is, everything and more that you've probably ever wanted to know about the tartar lamb, which like myself you may not even have known existed. Well, the lamb didn't exist, but the concept, you know what I mean. As always, thanks for listening.